Today on the calendar, we find ourselves at the midway point between the Feast of the Confession of St. Peter, which was this past Wednesday, and the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul, which is technically this coming Wednesday, although as it is our patronal feast, we will be actually celebrating it on Sunday as well. The week between those two feasts, Peter and Paul, is traditionally known as the week of prayer for Christian unity. And this prayer that I just read is one of two in our prayer books devoted to that purpose. This is the week that we try to heed Paul's words, that there be no divisions between us, that we try to live into the hope that we can be one, just as Jesus and the Father are one. In Paul's day, there were divisions between those baptized by Cephas and those baptized by Apollos and those baptized by others. And as we read further in the letter to the Corinthians, we find other divisions too. Divisions between rich and poor, between one group of friends and another, between those following one charismatic leader and another. There may have been groups who looked down their noses at those who did not come from the right backgrounds and others who looked down at those who were new converts to the faith. None of this was new, of course. And in many ways, the church in Corinth had simply reflected the society around it. Greek and Roman society made distinctions between those who were citizens, which included Paul, by the way, and lesser peoples, occupied peoples, who could be pushed around with impunity. Jewish society also made distinctions between those who seemed to follow every letter of God's law and those who didn't and were thus scoffed. Even everybody believed that those who were wealthy were entitled to better treatment than those who were not. And in a world where everyone feared everyone else, it made sense to only hang out with the people you knew and to only share with those whom you trusted. It made sense to listen to the people who said reassuring things, who understood you and promised you that you were special, more special than everyone else. That was, after all, what the rest of the world did. It was familiar and reassuring, and it was not of God. And so Paul tried to call them back. He began his letter to the Corinthians, the portion of the epistle we read last week, where he praised the church in Corinth for their faithfulness and for their many gifts which they shared. But Paul was troubled. Because less than a generation after Jesus' death, the people were already forgetting what they were called to do. Forgetting Jesus' radical message that God loves everyone. Rich, poor, Jew, Greek. Soldier, farmer, fisherman, slave, male, female, Jesus invited everyone to the table to be fed by him. People were forgetting that they were to use their many gifts to build up the faithful, not tear, th tear them down. And so Paul called for unity. Paul ain't seen nothing yet. 
Today, it seems we are more divided than ever. Walk out that door and go in either direction down Washington Road, and you will pass lots of church buildings. And even within our own congregations, there is division. Now, conversation and difference of opinion can be healthy. Open, respectful, prayerful discussion can help all involved discern the will of God. But division shuts down discernment. When we stop listening to each other, we stop hearing people tell us their stories. And then we miss out on hearing how God is at work in their lives or even where God might be calling us into action in our own. This year, we will mark the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, the great division of the Western Church. It began on October 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed his 99 theses regarding the church on the door of Wittenberg Cathedral. His suggestions about things like reading the scriptures in the language that the people understood and his emphasis on God's grace eventually led to the creation of the Lutheran Church, a split from the Catholics. And once fractured, the church soon split further into those who followed Calvin, into the Church of England, and many, many more. This simple act also led to the Thirty Years' War in Europe. And yet, ironically, Luther never set out to create a new church or a revolution. He simply wanted to have a conversation about the way we worship God. But those in authority were not prepared to listen to him, weren't ready to consider his experience or his views. And so today, we have people who say that they follow Martin Luther, and people who say they follow John Calvin, people who say they follow the Pope or the Archbishop of Canterbury, and we even have people who say, heck with all that, they go to one church in particular because of a preacher or a clergy person or someone else that they follow, just like the divisions in Corinth. And so Paul writes to all of us, pleading that there be no divisions among us. The problem with divisions is that they distract. They lead us to focus on what separates us rather than on what unites us. It's like going to a trade show where the vendors are all hawking their wares and the music is playing loudly in the background and it all becomes so overwhelming that you can't find what you want or even have a conversation about what it is you were looking for in the first place. Even worse, the divisions mean that we cannot effectively convey our message and we squander our gifts just like the church in Corinth. A few years ago, a business magazine wrote a profile about a major corporation that had hit the skids. This was a legendary company, over a century old, whose name had become a household word. 
its mail order catalog had literally built the American West. And then in the 1990s, a new CEO had taken over and introduced a new business plan, competition. Not competition with similar businesses like other mail order companies or other department stores. Everybody does that. He wanted the departments within his store to compete with each other, to trim the overhead and create the most dollar profit per square foot. The company's departments, like jewelry or footwear or appliances, became divisions fighting against each other. And everything in the corporation became based on sales and profits. Commissions, of course, but other things as well, things higher up on the food chain. Staffing was based on sales. Advertising, and so on. The company's trademark brands and reliable departments started taking a back seat to trendy, poor quality merchandise, which generated more profit. Customer service took a nosedive because what profit is there in fixing things instead of selling something new? Every department was told it was competing with every other department. Cooperation between the divisions even something as simple as walking with a customer through the store to a different area to find a product was discouraged. But communication was the worst because the divisions had been fostered and fed. So it really wasn't one store with one unified plan and one message and one reason to come in. It was dozens of different departments fighting each other tooth and nail. And so it came to pass that one year on Mother's Day, the company's national advertising campaign featured lawn equipment. Think about that for a minute. Because that was the thing that was selling best in the spring, of course, and so surely that's why you went to the store. Dresses and home appliances were on the back pages of the Sunday advertising circular, and jewelry wasn't even represented. It wasn't doing that well. It should come as no surprise that the company filed for bankruptcy several times in the last decade or two. As people have said, it just doesn't know who it is anymore. Do we know who we are? anymore? Or have our divisions gotten in the way? Have we become so focused on the little things that separate us that we've forgotten the big message that's important? Have we let the world's anxieties and fears creep into our life together? Have the world's messages about who is important and who is expendable permeated our life together? as it had the church in Corinth. We are, as our presiding bishop Michael Curry likes to say, the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. And don't get me wrong, I think the Episcopal branch has a lot to offer. I love being an Episcopalian. 
but a lot of why I love the Episcopal Church has to do with the ways in which our liturgy and our traditions draw me closer to God and remind me of what I'm supposed to do and who I'm supposed to be in this world. Two weeks ago in our adult forum, we watched a video clip of Michael Curry. And in it, he talked about his understanding of what the Jesus movement was all about. It should surprise no one that he talked about it in very Episcopal terms. Every Sunday in church, he reminded us, we listen to the gospel. But we don't just listen to it, it processes out to be in the middle of us. And no matter where we are or who we are, as the gospel processes out to the people, we all turn to face it. As Michael Curry says, we orient our bodies to the word of God as a visible physical reminder that we are called to orient our lives the same way. When we orient our lives toward God, we turn away from our own wants and desires. We seek God's will. We turn away from division and seek to love everyone, even those with whom we disagree. And that means we recognize that they have the same spark of God in them that we have. It means that we recognize there are times when each of us is wrong and that there are times when each of us has is called to repent for the ways in which we have failed to help bring about God's kingdom. In the gospel, Jesus tells us to change our ways and to follow him, to be a witness to the light, even in the shadow of death, to share the good news that the kingdom of God is near and not to fall victim to the hatred and division we see in the world. It is not easy, but things that are important rarely are. Then, now, and always, we are called to bear witness to that light, the light that draws us all. Amen.